Hello, dear listener, and welcome to episode three of Beyond the Studio. I'm your host, Paul Nolan. I am the owner and the founder of NYT. And this episode is a very, very special one for me because I got to sit down and talk to a very good friend of mine, a guy who I've respected for a number of years and was a good buddy of mine in my time living in Los Angeles. It's none other than Dave Ralph. And when I say that Dave has had a storied and quite varied career in electronic music, that really does not begin to describe what this man has done, what he's experienced and what he has achieved in the last three or so decades in the electronic music industry. So from quite humble beginnings in Liverpool, obviously my hometown, to being able to tour the world with the likes of Paul Oakenfold, right the way through to being an instrumental character and figure in the establishment and growth of Insomniac, one of the biggest club and festival brands in the world, with brands such as EDC, Electric Daisy Carnival under its belt. It really is an incredible story to behold. And what I really took from this conversation is that the path towards where we're meant to be in life really, really isn't a straight line at all. And even Dave would probably admit that where he finds himself now compared to where he was possibly aiming or what he was thinking about is very, very different indeed. But that doesn't make it any less exciting. In fact, it probably makes it even more exciting. Dave is also an incredibly talented producer and was right behind and one of the masterminds of one of the biggest dance music records of the 90s. Bass heads, is there anybody out there? And what's really exciting is Dave is returning to production after such a long hiatus. And it's going to be fascinating to hear what Dave does with modern technology, modern DWs and plugins, because it was all hardware and that kind of thing back in the day. And I've heard some of Dave's music already, and I'm sure you guys are going to hear it all soon as well. And it, the, the talent is just still there after such a long time. So it's a phenomenal thing to see. And a testament to the fact that it's not the gear, it's the idea, it's the person driving the studio rather than the studio itself. So this was another one of our live streams that we did for our NYT AAA members. So you'll hear some Q&A and some comments come in that I'll relate to Dave and we'll discuss them through the couple of hours that we had a conversation. And again, this was done back in the summer when we were all locked down. <laughs> what else is new? We're still all locked down now. And effectively, this was a brilliant, brilliant conversation that our members really, really loved. So if you want to join us for these types of things live so you can interact with our guests and be able to ask questions and really get to the heart of what it is that you want to ask these incredible minds, then that's what we're here for at NYT. You can join NYT AAA. It costs just £39.99 a month and you get access to over 20 courses with more on the way, two live masterclasses per week, track feedback sessions with uh, our wonderful NYT AAA community which are just the absolute heartbeat of what we do at NYT. We are a community, we are a movement, we are a tribe that are all focused and committed to becoming the best artists we can be by becoming the best versions of ourselves and you do that through a supportive community which now with everybody isolated the way they are with the current situation in the world shall we say with the virus and the pandemic it is more important than ever that you get the support and community that you need whilst you can't physically be around your friends and your peers so without much further ado i will hand it over to our wonderful conversation with mr dave ralph enjoy 
Here he is, the man himself, the legend that is, Mr. Dave Ralph. How are you, mate? Good, mate. How are you? I'm all the better for seeing you and seeing that lovely ah. Liverpool scarf on the back there, mate, you know. Keeping it real. Keeping for, it real. For the champions. Always. For the champions. Yes. Exactly. The champions so, of everything. So, yeah, we were just talking about, uh, just before, because we were just talking before we, we came on air, and uh, you were going to tell me about this guy, Graham Hancock, and a story that you've right. got. On. Which we have a we have a, a, a connection through right. that alone without everything else that's going on. Yeah. But um, I was just about to drop this one on you. So, so I think you know, back in the day, I used to tour a lot with Paul Oakenfall. We toured the world together. He's still a great friend to this day. But anyway, we we went to Mexico City. It was my first time in Mexico, Mexico City, and the promoter was a guy called Tinny Tooney mm-hmm. or Tinny Toon, Tinny Toon and Keicho. They were the promoters. He said, "Hey, you want to go to the pyramids?" And I was like, "There's pyramids in Mexico? Sure, I'd love to go there." So we went to Teotihuacan and we spent the day there and that started me on this whole thing. I'm like, holy crap, this is amazing. And then uh, I don't know how I found it, but I found this book thing, Prince of the Gods. Um, You know, I went on this entire journey, drove my agent mad at the time because I would say like, (laughs) I would say, can you get me a gig in Vietnam? Can you get me a gig in Cambodia? Can you get me a gig here? And so I'd follow Graham around his journey around the world. No way. Um, Fast forward to... A couple of years ago, and um, I don't know. Oh, I, I, we were it was it was it was an insomniac based thing. But um, I met this guy called John Audrey at dinner in New York, um, and we got talking. You know, and I was on my soapbox. I had a few wines, you know. So I start I get on my soapbox about Graham Hancock and you know blah blah blah. And he goes, "Oh, I know Graham." No. And I'm like, oh. so he goes, "Yeah, he's my friend." You know, blah blah blah. And he pulls out his phone. He starts showing me pictures of Graham and John and Santa and all this stuff, right? And I'm like, oh, no way. I mean, this guy's my hero. And I start rattling out the books that I've read and this and that and the other. So he goes, oh, we got to get you guys together. And I'm like, are you kidding? And he goes, no, not at all. Next thing I get an email from Graham Hancock saying he's going to be in LA. What? Uh, he's promoting his new book. Um, would I like to interview him? So I said, well, I'll do one better than that. Can you come in the office? And he goes, yeah. So I called my other good friend, Paul Van Dyke, who's also a massive Graham Hancock fan. No, is he? I didn't I, know that. Oh, yeah, big time. And I said, I said, hey, how would you like to be on the phone with Graham and me, and you interview Graham, and I'll interview him at the same, we'll do this whole thing. So he said, yeah, of course. So we spent like two hours, Graham came in with Santa and uh, his son, or his daughter, I think, and we spent a couple of hours in the office and just kind of like, shot the shit for two hours i mean the guy is like insane but at that time he shifted his focus i think paul from like mm. you know the real ancient culture to dmt which is why we got into all this 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 <laughs> nonsense conversation but there you go there's the graham hancock story no way you've met graham like i've got so much to thank graham for because like i was saying you know through his podcasts with joe rogan and a number of other people and other things that i've seen him on like you know the the dmt spirit molecule documentary and stuff like that really introduced me into that world that has, uh, yeah, it's been quite the journey on the last four years. Like, we'll just leave well, it like that, you know? You, yeah, you took it a bit more than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call it, get me in a Zoom on Monday and then we'll talk, like, you know? And then we'll talk, exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, all good, mate, all good. So, uh, you, you're seemingly uh, fit and healthy and staying safe out there. How's things over in uh, California for you at the moment? California is like, I mean, look, you know, we, we I live in a I live in a very blue state, um, thank, thankfully. Mm-hmm. So 
it's 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 a little bit more reasonable here than the United than the rest of the US. But it is concerning what's going on here. Not I want to get into politics or anything like that. But um, you know, I think that I think in terms of like what the future holds, you know, there's nothing gonna nothing's gonna change until November. And once that happens, then hopefully we'll get back to some kind of normality. Mm. You know, it's sad to see the shows not happening. It's um, it's sad to see a lot of people who are struggling because the shows aren't happening. But, you know, every cloud has a silver lining, right? You know, for me, uh, I've not been working for four or five months in my traditional job, so it's given me a chance to get back in the studio as to, mm. and be a pest and become a pest. <laughs> <to you. laughs> An LFC <laughs> pest and a studio yeah. pest at the same time. Exactly, exactly. Which, you know, so and I've been... You know, I've just been back in seventh heaven. This, this was always my, this was always my happy place. Yeah. You know, um, and the reason I stopped making music was basically because of 9-11. You know, it was just, it wasn't sustainable. After yeah. that, you know, the economy collapsed, everything collapsed. I stopped DJing, you know, so I, um, I, I, I'm on the phone. My son wants to talk to me, sorry. <laughs> um, um, so, you know, that, that really shifted me into a different part of my life, you know, mm. which has been with me for the last, uh, I don't know, 16 years, I guess, mm. you know, not really making music, which was just a travesty, and I'm, I'm rectifying that now. No, absolutely, <laughs> It definitely sounds like it, given the, some of the tunes you sent me the other night. Like, it's, uh, it's definitely on the right path again, mate. I was very impressed. Thank you. Nah, you're welcome, mate. You're welcome. So, yeah, I mean, uh, so obviously, like, th I'm thinking 16 years, right, in music technology terms, like, the oh. game must have absolutely been unrecognisable for you. I mean, what's interesting there is that we've got a few members who are on their way back after, like, you know, six, seven years out. Sure. And it's, like, it's completely different for them. I mean, I can't even imagine mm. what 16 years would be like. So is I mean look you know when I I started making I made my first record in 1989 wow. and that was as anybody out there mm -hmm. I did that with Desiree and Sean and me um, and you know we did that on we used I think we used Creator which was the non-binary you know it's just it's just lines of MIDI mm -hmm. right turn this channel on at this you know bar measure beat blah 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 right and then turn it off and you you'd have to split the keyboard you know, with sound. So you'd have one octave of this sound, one octave of that sound, because you just didn't have it, and you'd run to tape. Um, you know, and then came the advent of, like, graphical graphical music production, <clears throat> DAW, right? Uh, which was just, you know, I f the first time I saw the very, very first version of Logic, it just blew me away. Mm. I was just like, oh, wow, look, it's got, like, lines. It was more like Cubase, right, which mm. which had the little lines. And then they And then they had folders, which was just even that was <laughs> a like, revolution. Oh, oh my god! Um, you know when I when um, when I moved to America, um, I'd spent some money and I bought I bought a, 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 a G three. Wow! Um, which I used to take with me on planes. And when I came back to when I came back to my studio, I had a Magma. PCI, you know, extension card, mm -hmm. Pro Tools card, everything else. And this poor little, you know, it's like a Ford Model T, trying to trying to outpace trying to outpace a Lamborghini. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was that poor thing. Would, would struggle. And then I had a, I had a Mackie uh, DAB desk, all the stuff I had, and I spent a fortune on it, Paul. Like, you know, probably in excess of $120,000, which wow. is, you know, to anyone, a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But I had a great studio. 
you know, I've got I had all this outboard gear, which I've still got, I've still, still got it all. Um, but I'm not the desk anymore. And, you know, I was very confined to a particular space in the studio to make music, or I could be on a plane and people would look at me very weirdly. What are you doing? Headphones <laughs> on, you know, like a, a little, I think it was like a, wasn't even a terabyte. It was like 200 gigabyte little portable drive, which mm. was probably cost me a thousand bucks at the time because, you know, they were really, really expensive. And it was like, it wasn't even an SSD. It wasn't even solid state. So, you know, I think that by the time I kind of stopped making music, Logic had come so far that, you know, you really could stay in the box and the plugins were really, really great for it. And they, yeah. were, they weren't that processor hungry. Yeah. So you could you could run a decent amount of plugins on your laptop without it, you know, just falling over completely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, um, you know, so I, 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 you know, obviously the laptops got better and better and better, but, you know, stepping back into it now, um, I'm just, it, it, I'm like a kid in a candy store. You know, it's just unbelievable. And now I don't have a mixing desk anymore. Mm. Um, it's like, I, I don't need one. You know, I've, I've just bought this little PreSonus fader port thing. To oh, they're great. They're really good. Yeah, really, really, really cool. It took a bit of a, it was a bitch to set up, but I got it going in the end. Um, you know, just, just to have something tangible to do. But it's just, I mean, if you can't make music now, with all this, <laughs> if you don't, forget it, you know. I was going to say, Dave, just take take your next words very carefully because you're going to put me out of business otherwise. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's. I mean, look, you know, I, I'm simplifying a lot. Here, yeah. Right. You know, this, this, I've, I, I can, I can touch on Ableton a bit, but I'm not, I'm not very familiar with that. But Logic, I, you know, have a deep understanding on because right, right. basically the engines really never changed. Mm -hmm. Once, once they got it in, once they got it to a point. I don't, I don't know what that was. Probably Logic Six or something like that. Maybe, yeah. maybe even Logic Five. Um, you know, it, 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 it's very. It can be very intuitive if mm. you know. Mm. But getting to know all that knowledge, which is like what you do, and teaching people who have no idea what, or or a very limited idea of what they're doing, is, is super important. No, right? nice one, nice one. And it's funny actually because we did, um, we did a whole like getting started in Logic course, like through the the lockdown here and then we were two i think it was two or three weeks into the course and then logic dropped 10.5 which oh. just completely changed everything it was a completely unrecognizable piece of software and i had to kind of like say to people okay listen i'm gonna have to just like completely rewrite this course for the next five weeks and then figure oh, it out as i went along but i mean 10.5 has been really fun and there's been a lot of like really, really good upgrades to it. And obviously it's made it a bit more Ableton-like, but it can still yeah. be logic if you want it to be. I think they've yes. been very, very clever about how they've put it together. Yeah. And it's not expensive either. I mean, for $200 for that, for that DAW is just, I mean, it's a steal. It's, you know, as long as your computer can handle it, it's like so yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. God, I remember my first version of Logic back in audio engineering college in 2006 was Logic 7. And right. I, I got it for, I think, 350 And that was like student discount because it was like 700 yeah. quid. 700 bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, just, yeah. Oh, it was so expensive. Like, it was unreal. Crazy. 
So I think you know I think Apple have done a you know a, an absolutely admirable job with with that with that particular piece of software. Mm. And you know even you know if if you're new to that, if you're new to Logic, I would just suggest don't go buy any other plugins. Just no, learn what in it. Them. You know, learn what's in it. You know, mm. the mastering stuff's not that great, but you know, but it's like, but. It's it's all in there. Everything you need to start making music. Well, that's it. You know, we we did like sixteen hours of live streams on that course, and we barely scratched the surface of like what it's actually fully capable of doing. You know, when you yeah. really get into it, like it's it's incredible. And you know what what I love about it is that it just it has like there's many ways of skinning a cat with logic. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's fifteen different ways you can do it. Yeah. So you can find the bit that works for you and that's it, you know what I mean? And it's like I've over the years uh customized all the key commands to the point where like nobody else can really use my logic. It's a bit weird. <laughs> it's a bit like it's a bit like, you know, you know, you know, the, the lightsaber where it's like only the Jedi it was assigned for can use it. He built it himself. Yeah, exactly. I, just, yeah. I, I love the screen setting, that's what I use so much, you know. I'm just yeah. kind of like, you know, range one, I've got a mix one, I've got this, I've got that, you know, so it's just like one key and I'm, I've got like every all the automations right there you know it's just it's brilliant no it's, well it's done. fantastic well done, no indeed well, yeah well, in, well done indeed so what else are you loving in terms of you know this newfound sort of love of music production and the tools that have, are, are coming with it in 2020 what else are you loving um i think i think the native instrument stuff is just fantastic mm. you know um I, I i i i sold a bit of gear um before I moved out to LA, and part of that, and one of those was like I had, I had one of those Novation Pro X keyboards. Yeah, they were really good. Remember yeah. that? Really, really, really nice keyboard. I had no problem selling it, but then of course I screwed myself because I didn't have a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and I bought one of these little uh, Arturia, you know, one octave or two octave. Oh yeah, the things. key labs or whatever they're called. Yeah. Yeah, the key lab thing. Yes, but that was, you know, if you can play a little bit, which I, you know, I can. It's kind of like it's not very good. So it's sorry for hitting the key and putting a note in or whatever. So, um, you know, I, I did a bit of research and I went out and bought the um, Native Instruments Complete thing. You know, that I bought a 64 key complete, which is a great keyboard. It's nicely weighted and stuff. Mm. But it also comes with a great amount of software too. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I've always been, I've always loved Reactor anyway. Mm. Always, always, always loved it. So, you know, all of a sudden now I've got like incredible Native plugins. I've got all these Logic plugins and then. You know, the fairy godmother came down and gave me a bunch of um, Arturia plugins, which is just, that's a whole different, that's a whole different level right there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think, you know, for me, I, for me, waves, I've got a lot of waves, uh, you know, kind of processing stuff, which I think is really, really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's, all, that's always my go-to. Um, Native instruments I use a lot of, and you know I like the functionality of it. You can edit a lot of stuff. It's really really cool. Mm. Uh, and then some of the logic stuff as well. You know I, I didn't realize that they got alchemy because that used to be a standalone, right? It didn't did, it? yeah. They bought Camel Audio and ported it all in, and like there's now even if you look at like Fat Effects and Step Effects, yeah, they're exactly. they're the old Camel Fat plugins. Oh no way! I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mentioned that to Mick the Scarlet and said you were awfully lucky about that. That's yeah. What a, <laughs> absolutely. The name came free yeah. at just at the right time for you there, mate. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I mean, you know, they're, they're my go-to's, um, mm -hmm. and you know, I use battery a lot. I think that's a really great mm. drum 
machines really you know some of the samples in there are absolutely spot on no absolutely um, and, then and then they also use this um what is it now this lfo thing which oh, I've lfo been... tool the x-fair record yeah, thing the x yeah but i use that on my base yeah you know i've been using that a lot on the base just to duck it a wee bit mm. so the kick will come through yeah. which which is a friend of mine told me to do that he was like listen for 50 bucks oh, you won't look yeah because my studio's not that it, you know tuning wise it's really it sounds great in here, and you go out in the car and you listen to it, and you go, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that, old, that old chestnut, mate. Everybody fails the car test first time, Dave. Everyone. everyone. Yeah, everyone. So, you everyone. know, it, I've struggled with that. Um, but um, but in general, you know, that, that LFO tool's really sorted out my bottom end mm-hmm. a lot um, because it was definitely a lot more woolly. Mm. And you know the kick with the kicks would definitely not kick it, you know coming through and yeah and so you know that's 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 been that's been really good and then you know the waves the waves um um uh, like L one L two and L three they're mm. just great yeah. to just classic mate absolutely classic yeah. like yeah so uh, you know that, I mean that's that's basically me man you know I, I, there's not an awful lot going on no, there's no you know outboard wise I've still got all my old outboard gear mm. which you know I'll go to now and again yeah. You, I was going to say, have you got that integrated, have you? Yeah, it's all in. You can just wow. put it in. It's, 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 it, it'll all come in. Nice. Um, I, I, I was a little, I was a little miffed with with uh, because I had this eight twenty eight Mark with ears, and with the um, with the update on uh, on, on Mac OS to Catalina, they stopped support for anything thirty two bit, right? So mm-hmm. I wrote to them and I was like, listen. My 828 still good, still sounds great. Are you going to do anything? They wrote back and they were like, "Look, you know, it's not a priority at all. You know, no. you know, we really appreciate you've had this machine a long time, but it's not a priority." Well, yeah, I mean, because they, they do build them indestructible. I'm literally speaking to you through my 828 Mark III now. There you go. And there you go. Great machines. Motu make great machines. Oh man. my god, they're indestructible. Um, yeah. I mean, this thing I've had since 2008. Right, and right, right, it right. just keeps going. It just, just going. refuses touch wood. It refuses to die. Uh, I mean, it's what? got like it's. Believe it or not, that's running all the way now, from Firewire four hundred all the way to USB C Thunderbolt three. Oh, I've been there, mate. Before, before, before Catalina. It's exactly ours. I was running mine. It was like two different adapters to go yeah. from four hundred. So I, I went out and bought. Um, I bought a Focusrite Scarlet, whatever it is. Yeah, they're great. They're great for the price, man. They're amazing. Really, really, really nice. Mm. Really, really nice. Yeah, it's sitting really good. It's satin really nice. So, you know, and I've still got my old Mackies, which you can see the back of right there, I guess. Are they the H24s, are they? Yeah, they're the original. I mean, these these things are like 21 years old. I know, I know. And I actually, like, I remember back at SAE in Liverpool where I learned audio engineered and it was all those in the studios yeah. there, and I just got really used to the sound of them, and, and the sound yeah. of them, and I, mean, I really, really like them still to this day. Yeah. I think they sound better now than they have than they did back then, you know, because they just they're, they're bedded in now, you know. Yeah, they've moved a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing worse. Like yeah. you get a new pit, new set of monitors, and they're just they're, they're like glue. They're like concrete. Do you know what I mean? And you play it in like exactly. So that's it. That's me, mate. That's Amazing. you know. That's I just uh, I've got myself a nice big TV. You know, mm-hmm. I put it up on the wall, and it's like yeah. you know. I can 
like all sorts of screens open and everything. It's not, great, not, you know, nothing I mean, gets done when the Reds are on, just like, you know. Oh, no, <laughs> oh, it's, great to watch, it's great to watch the putty. I know, I know. I know, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Dave, it's so funny, like, because obviously, you, you know, me and you spent a lot of time together when I was living in LA myself. And uh, as you know, like, I was working on an album with a, a certain a certain uh, electronic music producer who also happens to be a big Liverpool fan. Yeah. It was just hilarious being in this legendary recording studio where, like, Fleetwood Mac and, like, you know, uh, <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins and all of these major <laughs> bands were that. And then it'd get to, like, 12 noon and Sasha's like, stop everything, the match is on, food's coming. No That's it. And we're, sat in, we're just sat in the studio watching the game on the big telly, like, you know, and, and through the big monitors, like... There was a there was a special on Jurgen Klopp on Channel Four. Oh, you know, like, I missed it the other night. I need to see it. Like, so well, I was I have a VPN, so I was able to like you know jump into. Don't tell anyone. This is not going out publicly. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched the whole thing, but I, you know, just I got in here, made myself a cup of tea. The kids were coming in and out. Daddy, what are you doing? I'm like I'm watching Jurgen. Oh, okay. You know that was and that, I, I took an hour out of my day because it was just nice, you know. And I've got the I can do it in here. Yeah, right? amazing. Just, 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 no, amazing. Amazing, yeah. absolutely. We all need it, mate. We all need it. I, I often joke that it's like, you know, for, for men like us, mate, it's like this is like the 2020 equivalent of having a shed back in the day. <laughs> well, you know, you know, in America, Paul, we call it the man king. <laughs> <laughs> Not very convincing that, Dave, even though you've lived there for so long. Like. So speak, speaking of Liverpool, right, because this is what I wanted to ask you about. Like, take us back to like the very, very beginning and how you got started because you know i just i, I love okay. i love this whole thing like and you know you're, you're almost like the um the bicentennial man who's just been there and seen the whole thing through history you know what i mean so let's see now well i think i i mean i always loved music um i i would hang out I'm, one of my friends still is my best friend now chris barry he's like mm. so we you know we grew up together we you know nine years old we find pink floyd we find uh, these kind of things um and i became obsessed with it like totally and utterly obsessed with like tangerine dream pink floyd yes you know all these kind of like progressive stuff i didn't really like heavy rock i wasn't really into like you know i wasn't into black sabbath or anything like that first concert i ever went to was richie blackmore's rainbow which is a complete you know contradiction of that hard rock thing but you know it was a concert and i was probably like 14, I think, mm. something like that. I went to the Empire to see them. But, it, but the, the thing is, is, I used to go to this, um, we used to go to this youth club disco up on Long Lane. And um, there was, uh, the DJs were Auntie Lucy's Alexia. I'll never forget. And 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 the DJ was a real dick. Right? <laughs> so he was a real, the best way to describe him. But anyway, he, you know, we would be there, our little crew of boys would be there and all the girls would be over there dancing, you know, doing the doing the bus stop and all that kind of stuff. And all we'd want to hear was Genesis mm. or Supertramp or Yes or something like that. And he'd never play it. Never, never, never. And we'd go up and say, put some Genesis on, mate. Yeah, okay. In a couple. And then, you know, go back. Are you going to put some Genesis on? Yeah, 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 I'll put it on. And then, then it'd be over and you'd be like, <laughs> Any, so anyway, um, my 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 good friend Dave Butler was always uh, a crazy electronic genius, mm. right? So he would build things. You know, he used to go to uh, P PRS uh, on Dale Street. Yeah, on Dale Street. Exactly. Mate, it's still there. 
It's not. Yeah, I mean, I think, it's shut, I think it's shut down in the last year, but the actual building's still there. It's like a time capsule. It's like something out of Stranger Things or something. Like. We would get the train in, or the bus, into Liverpool, mm. and we would go and he'd buy all these little resistors and capacitors because he was building something, right? So anyway, you know, we got fed up with this disco thing. So we said, so, you know, I said, we should just do our own disco, you know, like you've, 15 years old and the world's like the world's your, your oyster right <laughs> and he goes well I could build a mixer so I was like okay well I'll buy the I'll buy the turntables they were Garrard SP12 turntables which we bought from PRS and they were just the turntable there was no there was no housing for them or anything like that it was just all the, the guts so I built I built a little console with two turntables and he built the mixer from scratch from absolute scratch nothing um, I built the cabinets for the speakers we loaded them up with, oh God, I can't remember what the name of the speakers that we put in them now, but they were good. They were good speakers They were at the time. And then we realized that we didn't have any lights, right? And we couldn't afford any lights. So, you know, you're coming out your teenage years there, you know, from your, your, your younger years. So I said, well, I've got loads of teddy bears. And he goes, I, I do too. So, we, so I said, let's just put teddy bears all over it. And we, we were able to buy one rope light. So we called ourselves the Cuddly Toy Experience. <laughs> And and then we went we went to the lady who organised the youth club and we said, give us a chance. So she was like, well, I don't know. And we were like, just we'll do it for nothing. Just please, just give us a chance. We you know these are all our friends, so we're you know we know what they want, and we're going to play some fucking Genesis too. <laughs> <laughs> so we did it, um, and right in the middle of the show. Um, you know, everyone's dancing, having a lot of fun. Um, the amp decided to start smoking. So everyone thought that we had a smoke machine. <laughs> um, and I must, you know, I think at that time, I'm, you know, I was probably 16, so I couldn't drive. So I, I, had to, I had to get on my bike and run back to Dave's to go get this other little teeny weeny little amp that we had, that he had. I don't know why I went and not in, but anyway, I went and got it. We brought it back. We swapped the amps out and we carried on. We finished the gig, but that set me on my journey really as, as a DJ. And then, you know, the, at the end of the night, the lady from the youth club came over and said, right, that's it. It's your show now. You can do it every, every, it was, I think it was like every other week they used to do it. So we did it every other week. Um, and then from that, um, I got a little bit more serious about it and we went, do you remember the wind, you know, the Windsor Castle? Yeah. Do you know the Windsor? So that was our first proper disco and we used to do Sunday nights in there. Um, and at that time I was hanging out with all the Warbreck crew. It was like a bit of a gang, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we, we were drinking the Black Bull and the Windsor. Um, wow. You know they were that was that was our patch. So we had the show at the you know at the gig at the Windsor. So they would all come down. You know there was all these moody scousers in the corner. You know, like hanging out. We'd be playing records. Um, um, I decided then. You know then you know my dad was always really entrepreneurial. So he'd be like, oh you should get our David to play. A, you know do your party for you and do this and you push me a little bit. So I started getting gigs. You know and I charge people. I think it was like thirty or forty quid a show. That's what it was. You know. And it was all, you know, weddings and 21st and all that nonsense. And fast forward to my dad again. Um, there was a guy called John Fallows who used to own mm. um, a social club on, um, Aintree, I think it was Aintree Road. Literally then. called Fallows, wasn't it? No, no, that, this was after that. I'll get oh, to that. Oh, okay. I'll get to that. <laughs> Sorry. 
his little crappy social club um, belongs, but he was also building a new club up in Southport. And um, he wanted the DJ, and my dad was like, oh, I should get out David to do it. He's great, you know. And this was his friend. So anyway, they, they, they said, come down and have an audition. I went out an audition. He said, right, you're doing it. You're, you're going to be the resident. So I was like, oh, wow, okay. So I stopped taking all the gigs, right? All the gigs were coming. I was like, no, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to be resident of this place in six weeks. So I can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. And I never heard anything. This was the first time that you realised that the music business is not all it's cracked right? <laughs> So I never heard from him. And then in the end, I went, it was called the Ainsdale Country Club. So I went to the Ainsdale Country Club. And he was like, oh, I've changed my mind. You know, I've got this other guy. And I was like, listen, I've I've stopped all my work. All my work's gone because of you. Like, I've not taken any more work because we have an agreement. So, you know, and he goes, well, all right, excuse me, you can do one night. So that's, I started there. And another Liverpool story, I met Mark Lawrenson through his girlfriend, Vanessa Fieldwright at the time. Mm-hmm. Who these, she used to do all these fashion shows and I, she, they did a fashion show at Ainsdale Country Club and I DJed and she loved me, so she took me on tour. So I went all over England with her, met Mark and, um, um, you know, did all these shows and it, things just started progressing like that, progressing, progressing anyway. Um, Fast forward a few years, I, I went on holiday, I came back and there's this new pub in, in Liverpool. That, oh, wait a minute. No, I missed a bit. No, that's right. So um, this new pub in Liverpool called, uh, on the Dock Road open called Bonkers, right? And, <laughs> only in Liverpool um, can you have a pub only called Bonkers. Yeah, exactly. And there used to be a line, Paul, there was a line down the Dock Road. This was like where Bramley, where Bramley Moor is now, mm-hmm. you know, Bramley Moor, right by there. So, you know, I did about it. So I went down there, I had to queue to get in. Saturday night, get in there and, you know, this DJ's playing there and he's swearing on the mic and playing all this party music and the place is just going off. And I'm like, oh, I want to work here. <laughs> I really want to work here. So I stayed right till the end and I found a manager and I was like, listen, you know, it was definitely a gizzard job moment. You know, I was yeah. like, listen, you know, he's like, yeah, okay, there's, he's just come back some other time. Anyway, I, you know, I pestered and pestered. And uh, eventually I got a, an audition there and I got the job. I got, you know, uh, uh, so I became a resident with a guy called John Cicchini, Alan Bates, another guy called Alan Bates, and me, we were the residents. And then they started opening more bunkers. So there's bunkers in Wallasey and bunkers in Macclesfield, of all places. So I was working seven <laughs> nights a week. I can only imagine I was what bunkers in Wallasey look like. Well, no, it's, it was brilliant, mate. It was absolutely brilliant. We used to do these bar shows. I mean, it was just a, it was a fun pub, you know. So you were basically a comedian, right? Right. You were an entertainer. Mm-hmm. I wasn't mixing records. I wasn't. I was playing, you know, Lulu and this and that and the other and all these crazy things. Um, at that time, they built Quadrant Park in Liverpool, um, you know. And at that time, there was um, a guy called John. You know John Cotton. You might, you know, you John might know John very Cotton. well. Yeah, I know very well. So. so so there was John, there was there was John Chikini, there was Alan Bates, there was uh, Charlie C, and there was me, and there was Desert. There was probably like six or seven of us. Pastalot was in there, definitely mm. in the mix there. Um, we were kind of like the guys, right? So we were like, you know, the, I'd, I'd come up through the ranks then, you know? And um, Quadrant Park opened, but at the same time, I got a phone call from that guy from Ainsdale Country Club, John Fallows, and said, listen, I'm opening a club. Um, John Cotton's going to work there, you know. I think you should come work for me. It's right around the corner from my house. So, you know, we opened the Open Fallows in Aintree. Mm. And uh, there was me and John Cotton and Simon Edwards. We were the residents, I think, yeah. 
and um, then he did Fallows 2 and Speak. So this was, it just all started happening. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like going out and necessarily seeking it, but it just began. And, you know, next thing I've got a residency at the Dome in Birmingham. I'm playing at Mr. Smith's every Friday night in Warrington, you know, but not like, not as a, an underground DJ, very much a personality DJ. Mm-hmm. And I'd still at mm-hmm. that point in time, never made a record. I, you know, didn't know how to, just had no idea. At that same time, you know, John Cicchini got a job at DMC in London. And so, you know, then I was able to just holistically, I suppose, just all of a sudden now I'm kind of like, I'm into London all the time. I'm this, I'm doing this. I'm de- you know, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm meeting people in London. I'm doing, um, and then, um, you know, house music really started to pop, right? 1986, uh, around about that time this was. And I remember driving home one day and Stu Allen was, Stu Allen on a Sunday night used to always play a guest mix, right? And, you know, Stu at that time would be playing, you know, R&B, soul, a little bit of disco maybe, you know, those those kind of vibes, a little bit of rap. And he used to have these guys called the Master Jam MDs who would feature on his show. And basically, they'd have a track in the background and just scratch over the track. This stuff is really fresh, you know, all that kind of, <laughs> yeah. all that kind of yeah. stuff. But it sounded great, you know, because there was not many people who could do that at that time. And um, anyway, I'm driving home and I hear this, this Master Jam and D thing come up. I wasn't interested in the scratching. It was the record in the background that I was like, what is that record? What is this? What is this record? And of course, Stu doesn't know what it is because it's not his mix. Um, so I called him and I said, do you know what that was? He goes, well, let me find out. Anyway, they wouldn't tell him. They wouldn't tell him what the record was. So, you know, we'd planned this trip to London to go to this place called Groove Records in, in Soho. And... Um, we go down there and there's this really old lady who works there. And this is like 19, late 1986, I would say. She's really old. She's probably in her 70s. And I walk in, you know, someone said to me, that's the woman you've got to talk to. She knows all about that music. I'm like, what? She's like 70. She's got to be 74. Or she's a date. No, that's the girl. That's the one. So I go in the store and I'm first in, right? So I say to her, hi, I'm looking for this record. I th- you know, it, I, I think it's on tracks records. But I don't know what the title is. She goes, "What's it? What you know? What kind of vibe is it?" So I said, "She goes, oh, you want this?" And she hands me a a, a copy on Tracks Records of Larry Heard's Washing Machine by Mr. Fingers. Oh no way! And I put it on a turntable. Put it on. I'm like, oh, "That's it. That's the record." So I, I, and then I'm with four or five other DJs: Derek K, John Cicchini, Desa, a bunch of us. And they're like, let's have a listen. So I was like, there you go. Oh, yeah, we've got to get this. We've got to get this. There was one copy in the shop. <gasps> now, bear in mind, I'd driven 250 miles to get this record, Paul, right? I was the only DJ in Liverpool with that track for at least six months. Oh, it's the best. And I started best. playing. It's the best, right? So, you know, that really started me on this kind of like house music vibe. So at the time, I'm, I'm resident at Mr. Smith's, and I started getting shouted at, told off, is probably a better word for playing house music on Friday nights <laughs> when it's supposed to be a big party night, right? And I'm like, but people really like it. I don't want that rave music. Don't want that rave music in, in, in my venue. This was that was John Smith, the owner. I think he told me one too many times, and one time, and then at the end of one night, I went in to get paid, and he said to me, Yeah, uh, we're, we're gonna let you go. You know, you're not listening, it's not what we want. We're gonna let you go. So I had nothing to do on a Friday night. And someone had told me about this club called Shelley's 
right? So a couple of weeks later, I take a trip down to Longton in Stoke and I walk in and our, our good friend, Mr. Mr. Sasha, is playing, who I'd never even freaking heard of before. Who the hell is this guy? And there's like, the place is just dripping with sweat and it's pitch black, right? And there's this record on, I'll never forget it. <clears throat> it's just going, dance to the music. By the, it's the final word. That's what That was the name of the, the record, final word, dance to the music. And it's just this pad. It's going, and this mad vocal going, dance to the music. And the place is going nuts. And there's no beats. There's no beats. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I was just blown away. I stayed till the end, talked to the promoter. I was like, I want to play it. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, okay. yeah, okay. It's like just this repeat of the bonkers thing. But anyway, you know, I went back every week for about six weeks and eventually I got a, I, I, I did get a gig there and I played there and, you know, I ended up becoming extremely good friends with Sash. And, you know, I already kind of knew, I knew Dave Seaman from the DMC, from the DMC stuff. Yes. Um, so there was really, at that time, there was Sasha, Dave Seaman, me and Pigsy. We were the residents, right? Um, and then one day I got a phone call from a guy called Desert. He used to run a night called the Deaf House in, in, in Birkenhead, really, really famous. And he goes, I just want to play this thing. So he plays me this Osmond's break down the phone. It's down, out, down, down, down. And he goes, I think I want to make a record with this. So I was like, how are you going to do that? And he goes, well, I've got this guy in Halifax. He said, we can, I can use a studio. So I said, can I come? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. So we drove up to Halifax to Sean Imbry's house. I played Desiree's first Sasha Mix tape on the way up. And Desiree was just like, this is great. And I'm like, yeah, it's really, really good, right? And we get there and we get to Sean's house and we made bass anybody out there. And I brought it back on a tape. And um, the following week, I was at Chili's and I played it off, off tape, off cassette tape. Wow. Impossible to mix, but, you know, with that, with that nice ambient intro, you know, so it makes it pretty easy. Um, and the place just went mental. And Sasha runs over. He goes, what's this? And he said, I just made it last week. He goes, fucking hell, Ralphie, this is massive. Absolutely massive. So that was the first time I made a record. I wasn't, I don't know what the hell I was doing. You know, I, like, I had no plan, Paul. I had no, like, there was no, like, I'm going to make a record. And it's going to be a massive hit. I'm going to make a record. It's going to be a huge underground record. We just made a record that we felt i guess mm. and you know the techno the technology was was <clears throat> was minimal mm. and so you know then i started my thirst for you know well how does it work right so desert went on to uh partner up with a guy called nick murphy and nick at the studio in on the world and we all became friends and i wasn't really bothered about being in a band right so i just didn't want the credit for it you know i was just like oh yeah you guys are stupid like that's that was stupid. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, what I got out of it really was that Nick Murphy allowed me to come to a studio, which was a really nice little studio. Mm. And he gave me a lot of knowledge, mm. like so much, you know, he gave me. And, you know, he would be like, I'm going to bed at 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, can I stay? And he'd be like, yeah, stay till whenever you want. So I would have the studio to myself and I would just learn how to do things. Or if I couldn't learn how to do things, the next day I'd be like, hey, Nick, so how'd you do that? <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and that really 
put me on this on that on that production journey. That's where it all that's where it really all kicked in. I, mm -hmm. I guess like the thirst for the thirst for knowledge, the thirst for music, the thirst to to produce, you know, and and, and make records that I could play out i guess or you know that sasha would play because that was the only that was it was always in my mind I want, I want sasha to play this i want sasha to play this so um i mean you want me to carry on with this you do you, no, i mean it's just i mean it's it what, what i'm marveling about is like a how perfect your recall is considering the times <laughs> and like just how how, how much time's passed and you know and, and the circumstances if you know what i mean but like right. the, the, but the other thing that i'm really giggling about um it's like there's two things that really actually stand out for me through this what you've said so far is the fact that you know we all make the joke about it in, in, and for people who aren't from liverpool we should just explain like the yozza hughes thing which is like this this attitude of like I can do that. I can do that. Let let yeah. give me a go. Like let me do that. Yeah. I, I'm good at that. Yeah. I, I seriously like I'll show you. And it's a yeah. very um, Liverpool thing. It's a very entrepreneurial. Very you know you can't tell me I can't do that because I'm just going to show you. Sure. You know that kind yeah. of thing. And you know what stood out to me was like you'd go and speak to promoters and then like a month later you'd be DJing there. <laughs> you know and, and and the thing is like you know, we hear this a lot even now in 2020 and the other thing that made oh. me laugh is that you're saying back then oh, all i want is for sasha to play me record and it's 2020 and nothing's changed <laughs> nothing's changed like, like can you get can you give this to sasha for us like because i think he'd really like it <laughs> do you know what i mean uh, there's a couple of really i'll come to a couple of really great moments in time with sash you know so so uh where, where were we we were talking about oh yeah base head so um at that time, you know, everything started getting really, um, like, interesting, crazy. The gigs were pouring in. And I'd met this girl um, who I fell deeply in love with. So I'd start cancelling gigs just because, you know, I was just, it was just the time. It was that time. I was like, I wasn't, I wasn't on a mission to be a star, you know. So it was, for me, it was just all fun and great. And I, I loved it, you know. Mm. And the girl was more important. So, you know. After you cancel three or four gigs, people start say, start thinking, yeah, he's not, you know, he's not that serious. Yeah. And the gig started falling off a little bit, but the production never stopped. <clears throat> um, and then, you know, hard times came. And, and I think that, you know, one thing that I've learned in my life is that hard times are very leveling, mm. right? And, you know, if you're, if you are tenacious enough, the hard times will teach you like really valuable, invaluable lessons. Mm. Uh, so, you know, having slept on enough couches, <clears throat> surviving on 20 quid a week in London, you know, not fun, uh, not fun at all. But, you know, I came through that a lot stronger, you know, just like a lot like, you know, OK, well, I, I don't want to do that again. I yeah. can't I can't I can't be that person. Again. And what kept you um, going in those times, if you don't mind me asking, like, because that that's like that's pretty rough. So what, what was the thing um, that kind of kept you driving forward? I, I just think the desire to be comfortable, you know, just 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 to be like, you know, um, I can get through this. You know, this is just a blip. Mm. You know, just be like, this is this is just simply a blip. You know, everything's gonna. It was a long friggin' blip, you know, but it, a blip it was. Um, and then, you know, I I I learned some studio stuff then. You know, so I could go in the studio and not hold my own, but I knew what I was talking about, mm. right? To a, to a degree, which is important, you know, because you go in the studio sometimes you feel like, right, 
twat. You know, you're just like sitting there going, I don't know what the hell he's talking about with compression. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> We've all right. been there, Dave. We've all been there. <laughs> no, well, of course. So, um, so then, you know, I kind of like, I'd, I'd gone to London. I was living in London. I started Red Parrot with John Cicchini and Andrea, God bless her. Um, um, you know, but it just wasn't working out for me money-wise. It just really wasn't, you know, it was, I was just, it was, it was, I was crushed, you know, I couldn't eat. It was difficult to buy a packet of cigarettes and I smoked then, you know, so it was, that was important. And, you know, I remember going to the Met bar with, um, with a couple of friends, you know, and just catching drinks off people. And I was just like, I can't, I'm not that guy. I'm just not this person, you know, I just can't do it. So anyway, um, long story short, I thought I'm going to move back to Liverpool. So I moved back to Liverpool, um, and then I got a job at Unity Records in Liverpool. Now, here's um, the interesting one. What, what, when was this exactly? I'm going to say 93 or 4, around there. And you around left in, what, 95? Liverpool? Like, to come to America? Oh Yeah, because like, cause I, I know no, we're that, coming up towards that, aren't we? 1999, oh, yeah. 1999 I, 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 I quit England right. altogether. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because... My first shot was Unity Records. No way. I did my GCSE work experience at Unity. So you so so Paul Walker was still there then? Paul was still there, but I think he in the interim period he moved to I think he moved to Canada. Yeah. And then I was in there with um uh, oh God! What was his name? Cy Jackson. Cy, yeah, it was Cy, and uh, Brendan was out the back, sat on the drum and bass. Yeah. And the funny they thing is, it's so funny because like I used to make Brendan Future Bound coffee, and he, and I yeah. remember the first little bit of praise I got in the industry was Brendan going, "Tell you what, lad, you can't half make a cup of coffee. You can stick around." <laughs> we used to, I... I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean?" So Brendan will tell you the story as well. So I put a sticker on his back. I was always putting stickers on people's back because I am a child. Well, but it's also records. That's what you do when you work in a record shop. That's what you do. And I, I, before he went out for his lunch one day, I put, I think I put something like, I'm the number one junglist in Liverpool. <laughs> on his back. And he went all around Liverpool. Never forgive me for that. But anyway, so I'm at Unity. Um, this, is a, this is actually a really great story. So um, I'm the assistant manager at the start at the mm. shop. And, uh, everything's great, and John Berry from Eastern Block, because you know, Pete Waterman's idea was Pete Waterman had bought Unity and all these other stores, all these underground stores, was kind of like to to get this like community going within with underground music and make it and make it bigger, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and he bought Eastern Block, and John Berry, um, who used to sell me my records at Eastern Block, was he, he was kind of like the European techno guy, which is basically the beginnings of trans music, mm. right? That was. That was what that was. So, you know, he, I was I was sent up to Eastern Block, you know, and John was like, right, Ralphie, well, this is what you do. You talk to this guy, you talk to that guy there, you do this, you do that, these are the labels, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. Because I, you know, I was kind of like in that progressive, trancy vibe, I guess, yeah. at the time. So I start selling all these records and everything's great. And then um, at that time, I was running a gig. I was promoting the show in and booking all the DJs in Jersey in the Channel Islands at the Inn on the Park. So, um, you know, I'd be going over there once a month to do these big all-nighters, big rave all-nighters. You know, I had Oak Fall play there. I had a bunch of people play there. It was really, really cool. Um, and through that, I met this guy called Warren Lasswear, 
right? What a who name. was also friends with yeah, I know. With all he was also friends with a guy called Mark Mitchell. And Mark had a studio in um in in Jersey. So, you know, they said you should come check the studio. So he went over there and I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. And the, and you know, we were all very vibey together, so we took a track together. I was like, well, I can't do it now, so I have to come back. So I went and I took a, uh, a, a week's holiday. And I flew out to Jersey and we made a record, which was, um, uh, we called ourselves Jelly Buffon, because we were always talking about hair, right? And um, and the record was called Hope, Hold My, Hold My Hand, and I sang on that. Um, when I went back to England, I got fired. Uh, and I won't go into that, <laughs> but I got fired from Unity. So I had no job and I had no money. Again, this was really, really annoying. But I did have a little bit of money. I had about 60 quid left. That was what I had. Wow. So I went, and, I went and got an acetate cut of Jelly Buffon. And I drove up to Up Your Ronson in Leeds because I knew Sasha was playing there that night. Fought my way into the booth and gave him the slate. And he goes, what's this? And I was like, play it. And you know what he's like, right? You know, he, 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 doing that is like, you know, that's the worst thing you can that's probably do to that That's the sin, naturally. <laughs> I, I was that desperate. Um, guy called Spencer Baldwin was in the booth. He was the head of A&R for Oakland Falls Label Perfecto at that time. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm like, Sasha, you got to play it. I just, you know, please just play it. And he goes, well, what's it like? I was just put it on and listen to it. He goes, well, it sounds good. Okay. So he plays it. Fucking place just erupted, right? It was a big, progressive, you know, piano tune, really right up his street. Um at that time. And Spencer's like, what's this? So I said, oh, I just made it. You know, I just got back from Jersey. I made it with a couple of guys there. And he goes, okay, Monday morning, I get a phone call from Paul Oakenfold. Hmm. So he goes, hello, mate, how are you doing? I'm like, I really never met Paul. Maybe met him once or twice, but you know, I'm not, we're not friends by any means. He goes, listen, Spencer tells me you've got a really big record. Can you send me the dat? So I said, yeah, I send the dat. And he signs the record. Right, so I, then I'm signed to Perfecto. Now things start moving, really, really, really moving. At that same time, I get a phone call from 3Beat, you know, that same week. And it was John Barlow from 3Beat. He goes, can you come in? So I was like, yeah, of course. So I went in and he starts asking me all his questions about Unity, right? This is a good little tip for anyone. This is, you know, needs a job. So he says, what about this about Unity? And I was like, you know, listen, if you're offering me a job, and I've got a job. I'm happy to divulge all this information, but you know, I can't really tell you that. And so they gave me a job. Um, and you know, that was at the time when Three Beat was expanding a little bit too. And I became because Three Beat at that time were like really hip hop and strictly rhythm and that kind of that kind of New York mm -hmm. New York vibe, very American based. So I came in and started shifting trance music. You know, just like a lot of it. Um, and one day, Arabesque was my was one of my uh, distributors. And at that time, you know, there's no internet. So, you know, you get a phone call on a Monday morning and they'd be playing your records down the phone. What do you mm -hmm. think about this? Yeah, give me two. I don't want any of that. No, that's shit. No, I don't want that. Give me two. Plays this record down the phone. And I'm like, the guy's name was Martin. I'll never forget this as long as I live. He, he says, uh, I said, how many of them have you got, Martin? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, I've got, a, I've got a box or maybe two boxes. I was like, I want them all. And he goes, I can't give you them all. So, because I, I used to be, his, I used to buy more stuff off him than anyone else in the UK. So he, I would always be his first call, right? Mm. So I said, Martin, you've got to send me them, send me them all. 
all of them. I want them all. And he goes, oh, I can't. I was like, you need to send me them all. But honestly, you really, really do. So anyway, I persuaded him. He sends me the record. I sent one record out that week to Pete Tong and he played it on, on Radio 1 that week and it was seven days and one week. No. Right? And I was the only shop in England with that record. So we charged everyone 50 quid. Anyone who called a shop were like, you know, so and so all of a sudden, John Barrow, who owned Three Beat, was like, what do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we started Glow Records. I said, I want my own label. I'd like, I, you know, I want a label oh, for the shop. No, the shop label. I said, I want that, you know, that's what I want. And he goes, okay, so we financed Glow Records. Um, and, you know, that's how Glow Records came into, into being. And Call It Oxygen was the first release on that and that was me and a guy called rob jay i don't know if you know i know him. rob very very yeah. well yeah so um you know we, we 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 put a couple of records out on that and then we did desert and all this other stuff i love all that stuff i know right well at that time paul k um, and all that as well yeah at that time i get a phone call from darren hughes at cream it's just crazy how things just just go you know it's mm. like all of a sudden you're on your ass and then all of a sudden things start start going can you come around yeah so i went out to the office and he goes look um oki's taking a residency with us at um amnesia in, in ibiza um he's always wanted you as a resident in liverpool but you know part of the deal was paul bleasdale's is, is is you know the resident with him and i was like no i get that and i used to fill in with when paul wasn't able to do it there yeah but we would like you to be we'd like you to go out to ibiza and be the resident with paul so i was like oh okay no. Uh, uh, well, when? Uh, in two weeks. Oh. <laughs> no, so I go back to, I go back to Three Beats, and I was like, look, you know, and by the way, I've got a studio then. By this time, I've built a, built a studio above Three Beats. So we were making records under Coloured Oxygen and um, some other stuff going on in there. Um, so <laughs> I'm like, how do you guys feel about me moving to a beta for a few months? <laughs> and they, they were cool. They were like, yeah, go, you know, do it. You know, you should do it. It's really good for you, and it's good for the shop mm. and everything else. So you should do it. So I, you know, that was how I ended up being in Ibiza for three years um, with Oki. Um, that's an absolute. I don't remember much of it to be honest. You know, you're talking about you've got a good memory. I swear, I'm not. That's not a joke. That's I. I'm not even kidding. There's, there's, well, you know, because the because the, the the workload was like it was weird. You know, Wednesday night we do BCM. Mm. Thursday night we would do Amnesia mm. and then that was it you know maybe I'd play a bar in between but you know the uh, the activities were real so you know there wouldn't be much sleep between Wednesday and Saturday very very little so you know the next few days you'd be recovering basically to do it all again it was like Groundhog Day nice totally totally it's so funny as again there's so many points where I'm like oh and, and this is like kind of I was running parallel at this time like just getting started yes. it's so funny and you're saying about Ibiza I had the exact same experience but I did the Iron Apple thing for a season oh wow in 2001 with Tony Barton God rest his soul <laughs> I love Tony. Oh my dude. I mean that guy, he was like my second dad, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. But I went away yeah. I went away a boy and I came back a man. Yeah, like, that's yeah, yeah. all I'm gonna say about that those six months, like because they were interesting <laughs> to say the least. That's fantastic. So yeah, so 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 then you know, and then I'm playing in and playing amnesia. I'm opening and I'm closing, and Paul would play in between. So it was a bit of a rough gig, you know. You, you get to like eight o'clock in the morning, you'd be like, oh, the place is still packed. Um, 
And, um, you know, I came back from there. Um, actually, I was in Ibiza and I got a phone call from a guy called Steve Lau, who used to run Kinetic Records out of New York, mm-hmm. which is part in. Um, and he was like, hey, um, you know, when you finished in Ibiza, how would you like to go out and tour with BT in America, supporting BT? And I was like, okay. He said, there's not much money in it, you know, but we'll pay for everything. I was like, okay. So that was the first time I came to America wow. as a DJ. I'd gone to America in 1984 with, with my old girlfriend and, um, you know, spent a month there and fell in love with it and always felt that that would be a great place for me to, you know, get to and be, uh, and be, it was more actually, it was that, it was like the West Coast and then Canada. I really like Canada. Vancouver was like, I still love that place. It's amazing. Anyway, um, I go out and tour with Brian. Um, who I'd already I knew anyway, but you know it was it was a great tour. We had a, we, I think we I think we did like 28 dates, you know, and these were like you know nowhere towns. Some sometimes you know you get into like you know really really you know C level D level markets in America mm-hmm. as well as the big ones, you know, like New York and everything else. So, and that's when I you know I realised that it was really ready in America. So I'll go back. To England, and I say to Paul, Paul, we got to tour America, man. And you know, bear in mind at this point in time, Paul and I are inseparable. We're just touring everywhere. So he goes, all right. So he gets on his phone, on the phone, calls his agents, and they put the tour together. We used to play for, excuse me, we used to play for five hundred dollars between us, and buy and pay for our own hotels, wow, and our own flights. So you know, Paul was really, really good to me, and you know, he always took care of me. Um, of which I'll never, I'll never forget, and I'm always indebted to him for. But you know, we saw, we did those those C level, D level shows. We did a year, you know, probably like three months, you know, spread out over the year, and then all of a sudden, everyone wanted us. You know, everyone wanted us, so it became more and more um, uh, lucrative to come to America. You know, it was like great. You know, these were starting to get real. Everything was great. At the same Paul did a deal with a place a square called Home in London to be a resident there. Remember it, yeah, because he and, left Cream uh, to go there, didn't he? Yeah, mm. it was a multi-million pound project. Um, and, you know, he said to me, right, he said, you, you, it's you and me on Saturday night, Saturday night London, you and me, you and me Saturday night London, makes going to be great, right? So, you know, I go to this place called Home, um, and I'm playing, and it's good, but you know, it's also very corporate, right? Um, in the true sense of the word, it was very, very corporate. And I was like, eh, I don't know if this is for me. Mm-hmm. And you know, I started to become, you know, America was a very big focus for me. So I would play on Saturday night, get on a plane Sunday morning, fly to America, do three or four gigs, get back on a plane on thursday night so i'd be back in london for friday so i could play on saturday and then do the same again so it just was just ad nauseum just ad nauseum weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and it got to me at the end paul it It was like you know it's this is too much so i I, you know i called paul up one day and i was like hey listen i'm gonna leave home i'm gonna leave and he goes oh you are and i'm like yeah i said i don't think it's for me you know i think it's you know i just think i've got some stuff that I want to do. So I moved to America. I'd signed a deal with Kinetic for five albums. Um, everything was just going great. I, you know, I, I 
in, um, I signed with an agency which was AM only at the time, Paul Morris, which became Paradigm eventually. Um, and, you know, the gigs were just flying in, like flying in. It was crazy. And at the same time, you know, I'm making music. Wherever I am, I've got my laptop, I'm making music, you know. I'd been doing stuff in Liverpool with uh, a couple of lads and that was the T-Freaks stuff. I don't know if you ever saw that, mm-hmm. but that was the T-Freaks stuff and that became, that became successful. That was getting signed here and there and everything was just going great a lot of traveling a lot of you know and this was this was prior to the days of people buying your business class flights they just wouldn't do that you know Mm. so you know it was economy all the way um can be a bit rough Mm. you know can be time after time so you know first world problems right um so um uh then i i'd moved to miami I um I was living with my friend down there and I'm driving around Miami one day with my friend and the phone goes and um it was like is this Dave and I'm like yeah he goes hi it's Trevor Horn here so I was like wow. yeah okay I was just like yeah okay mate who is it <laughs> no it's Trevor Horn I was like yeah all right fuck off who is it no look no seriously it's trevor horn and steve lau had, had teed me up for a, a an on-spec remix of a seal track called the latest craze um which i'd done and i'd submitted and it was trevor and he was like look we really like this mix that you've done of of the latest craze we you know um we just think that we can produce it a bit better it can sound a bit better because it was made in a crappy studio mm. you know it was it was all right for the dance floor kind of thing but so I said, okay. So he said, would you like, would you come out to LA um, and work with us on it? You know, we, we can spend a couple of weeks together on this. And I was like, two weeks to make a fucking remix? Are you kidding me? Like, that was done in two days. So um, so he said, you know, you stay at my house and blah, blah, blah. So I fly out to LA. I, I, I go to Trevor's house, um, you know, and I'm like in awe. This is the guy that's produced Frankie Goes to Hollywood amongst Grace Jones amongst others, you know, I'm just walking into like, you know, deity level here. Mm-hmm. And I go into a studio and there's nothing there, right? There's just a desk, there's a Neve desk, that's it. So I was like, oh, and, they, and there's four guys in there. I'm like, hey Dave, I'm so-and-so, I, you know, my job is this. And hey Dave, my job is this and blah, blah, blah. So there's all these engineers in there who've got specific jobs. Yeah. There's the Pro Tools guy, there's the mixing desk guy, there's the outboard guy, there's the MIDI guy. It's like, holy shit. So they said, so um, what kind of equipment do, do, do you need? So I said, well, um, and I, you know, I rattled off. Uh, I need the vintage keys. I need this. I need that. You know, because they wanted to recreate this entire yeah, yeah. thing. And so they said, um, and I had this, I can't remember the name of it, Paul, but I had this multi, this outboard multi-effects unit, which would do everything. It wasn't, uh, might have been the Digitech one, if I remember mm. rightly. Maybe it was. I, I, I really can't remember. So I said, well, I use this Digitech thing. Oh, what's one of those? I was like, I don't know. And he, well, what, what do you use it for? I said, well, it's got it's got you know some decent reverbs and delays on it. Oh, we'll get you an Eventide. I was like, what's that? And they were like, well, we'll get you four. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of hours later, this guy, this truck turns up with all this gear in, which they rent into the studio, you know, and we start work on it. And the next thing, Seal's in there. And, you know, we're, it's like, and the next thing is uh, Lol Cream from Godly and Cream's mm-hmm. in there. And, and you know, we're all smoking weed and just hanging out. And it was like the most unbelievable experience of my life. Wow. And this was, a, this was a real turning point for me because 
the way that Trevor worked, I don't know if he still does this, but he has like in-house produ- producers in the studio. So he's like a factory, right? Mm. You know, you give him a remix to do and he's probably not going to do it. He'll oversee it, but someone else will do it. And um, he worked with a, he worked with a studio in London. Was it the bunker? Yeah. And that's a, that's a, got the room within the room, mm-hmm. right? I think that was his studio. I, I you know, I, I might be wrong, might be wrong. But, you know, that was his home studio, if you like, I, I think. Or it was either that or Metropolis. I can't remember, Metropolis or something anyway. So he said, look, you know, they had a couple of days left before, you know, I was due to, to, to leave. And he said, look, why don't you just come work with me? Come work for me. Um, you know, full-time, you can be a producer full-time. This is what you'll do. You, you love it. You're obviously, you know, this is, this is where your passion is. And I, uh, you know, I was like, well... Wow, you know, can, can I think about it? And he goes, Yeah, of course. So, you know, I went to bed that night, and never slept. You know, Trevor Owens offering me a fucking job. <laughs> you know, it wasn't get better than that. But then I also realized that at that time, the DJ career was just off the charts, mm. you know? And so, you know, in America, I'd put a lot of work into America, and that would have to stop. So the next day I got up at breakfast. I was like, listen, I really appreciate the offer. It's like, it's very generous of you. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to de- I'm gonna gracefully decline. And this is why. So I told him and he totally understood. Um, so, you know, I, I, that, you know, and I went off to, to continue to, 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 to be the, you know, the Dave, the American Dave Ralph and, 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 and go and go down that, go down that road. And, and I, you know, you asked me a question before of like, you know, how, you know, you, 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 you did, you did before everyone else. What, what I did was, Paul, I put the time in. Mm. So people would come here and they do New York and Miami and they do like Chicago, right? The, 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 the difference was, was that I would do those, but I'd do everything else as well mm. on a weekly basis. So I'd be going to Dayton, Ohio. I'd be going to, you know, Minneapolis and, you know, Getting a residency at Buzz in Washington was just really, uh, you know, a, a massive, a massive time. So, um, and that was all great, and it just kept getting better and better and better until 9/11. And when 9/11 happened, it was just like you turned a corner, it was a brick wall there, mm. and you weren't getting up. And you know, I just bought, I bought my first house. <clears throat> my wife looked at me and she goes, "Okay, this is this is what our savings are. Okay, so we're good for now, but in you know." X amount of months, we're going to have no money. And I realized that, you know, not having enough money coming in wasn't a choice, really. It just it just really wasn't. So that's when I decided I was going to stop DJing, stop making music and become basically, you know, a promoter, yeah. an operator and all that kind of stuff. It's so Long wild. story, right? It's so wild. I mean, especially with like, you know, just with where we're at now with 9-11, it's so wild from <coughs> my perspective hearing that because you know obviously i've got a very uk european centric view of that event and you would never for one second think that an event like that like a total tragedy and a complete one-off would would do so much damage that way do you know what i mean and it would affect you so directly and so personally like it's 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 completely wild for me to kind of appreciate that for the first time mate yeah, it was brutal, man. Mm. I mean, you know, you go from you go from having a really good living to nothing, mm. and you know, 
and you know I, i've never been one to live beyond my means in any way shape or form mm. you know so we had some savings and stuff but you know it was it was definitely a sobering moment mm. no, and you know, so, so i picked up uh, you know again we go back to the gizzard job thing i picked up the phone i called my friends in avalon in boston i was like i need a job and so i went in and they said well what do you want to do i was like i don't know what can you do anything i can do anything And so they were like, oh, uh, well, we'd love, you know, we, we, we'd definitely love you to come work with us. So they paid my health insurance. That, that was my, that was my, and that's that was big, my right? salary. Yeah, it was. Well, we were pregnant with our first child. You know, there was like, there was a, there was a lot of positives to that. Um, and so, you know, I ended up starting to, you know, book DJs that were my friends as well as, you know, colleagues and everything else. And, you know, I knew everyone. So I had a very different perspective on it from, you know, uh, 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 you know the quote-unquote promoter because I've been there you know it's like when someone asks you for a piece of pizza because their plane got delayed and they haven't eaten and they have to go straight to the to the gig and the, the venue won't you know oh no we can't get you that that's just bollocks mm. you know if you got to make sure that that person is ready and able to do the job so you know over time cut a long story short became music director of Avalon Avalon closed down eventually I um I then moved to New York to become operations director at Webster Hall, moved back to Boston and then built this club called Royale, uh, which is still exists now. Um, did a deal with the Bowery Presents to be our concert partner. I had a corporate guy, you know, the club was a phenomenally successful business. And, and then eventually ended up in California working for Insomniac as like head of talent. Mm -hmm. So long journey. Very, very long, long mate. Amazing. And just like... Not over yet. <laughs> no, no, well, hopefully, right? <laughs> hopefully there's still a few uh, a few stories left to tell, you know? And it's it's just, it's such a testament to, like, you know, and, and the reason why I picked you up about, you know, sleeping on couches in London and surviving on 20 quid and, and just your attitude about, like, you know, this too shall pass yeah. is, is, is such yeah. an unbelievable attitude. And I think it's, it's a really, if you don't mind me saying, I think it's an amazing example to everyone not only in the music industry but but in life in general yeah yeah i mean i listen i you know we're in the middle of a pandemic now and i i, I you know look you've heard people say this before there are two types of people in the world right there's problem finders and problem solvers mm. right i always consider myself to be the latter right yeah. so you know, when things do go pear-shaped in any way shape or form i'll do whatever i need to do to fix it I can't fix what's going on right now. And that was very, very difficult for me to come to terms with mm. on a personal level to say, well, I can't effectuate any change here. Mm. I've just got to go with this and live my life now in what we, in what modern day life has become in this pandemic. Once I did that, it was extremely liberating. Mm. It was just this, it was, it was, it, it got to the point I was like, it's not a case of I'm not asked. I don't care. It's not far from that. It's just that I can't do anything about it. All I can do is make sure that my family is safe and I'm safe. And beyond that, that's it. You know, that's, there's, there's just nothing. So, you know, having been in California for the last seven years and I've been worked so damned hard and being under a lot of stress and everything else, all of a sudden that's just gone, right? So it took me weeks, if not a, a couple of months to just let it go. Mm. And then in that, as I'm letting it go, what I found was that 
the creativity came back out in me mm. right? because it was stifled through everything else that I was doing because I had a proper job, with, you know, with with a lot of responsibility and people, you know, and all these kind of things, you know, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars I'm managing on a daily basis. And now I'm not. So, you know, all of a sudden I started writing lyrics again. All of a sudden I'm like doing top lines again. All of a sudden these things are just coming out. And and so they've, they've never gone away. And I guess that's really encouraging to, to, to know that if, if you have a penchant to be creative in any way it can come back out you know if you if you put it on sleep for a little while it can come back out so you know now i'm just uber enthusiastic and optimistic about music in general i'm just like this is great mm. you know i'm i want to i want to familiarize myself with everything that's new about music with everything the you know the production techniques and and this and that and the other you know and i started my i have a 16 year old boy and uh, he watches twitch a lot mm -hmm. right so, you know, I started watching Twitch too. And it's incredible. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just bonkers. That's something that I would never have even imagined. I it took me a while to get my head around. I'm like, why are you watching other people game? Just, you know, what possible uh, but it's it is great. It's really interesting because you've got these personalities who are talking people. It's it's great. You know, the world's very different and I think you know we're very lucky to live in it despite what's going on because of all of what the technology that let, let makes this happen. Mm -hmm. Just you and me. I mean, imponderable mm -hmm. 10 years ago. No, absolutely. Right? Yeah, that, amazing. Absolutely phenomenal. And, and for me, it's like I've said this on a few occasions, you know, this pandemic is like, has like, has given me many gifts in terms of the fact that I get to do this with people like you. Like, you know, honestly, this must, it must be about what, five years since we've had a conversation this long. Yeah. And, oh, for sure. You know, we, even when we were living in the same city together, it was yeah. difficult to even get in the same room as each other to even like have yeah. a beer and have a catch up and things like that. But doing these types of, you know, live streams or, you know, uh, podcasts or masterclasses that we've been doing, as everyone we've done them with is a friend of mine and yeah. I've picked them because they're amazing, incredibly positive people, but also because they're like, they're my friends and I don't see them yeah. very often. And right. I want to be able to hang out with them and I want sure. everyone else to be able to benefit from just how wild and how amazing these conversations <laughs> are when we get together. Because like, I mean, me, me and Patrice, you know, Patrice Balmel, right? Yeah. Like me and Patrice are like really, really good friends and they're, they're, there's conversations me and him have had on the phone that have gone on for like five hours. And it's like, <laughs> you know, at the end, you know, at the end, I text them and go, shit, we should have recorded that. Like, because that went everywhere <laughs> from like cryptocurrency to plugins right. to David Icke and all points in between. Like it was yeah. just yeah. mental. So, you know, it, it, it's amazing because like, you know, be, being a lover of, of, of the listening to these types of conversations. There's a lot of people do ask me like, you know, when you're not in the studio, Paul, or you're not teaching people like, what are you doing? What are you listening to? And I'm like uh, a really well recorded human voice. Yeah. That, that's all yeah. I want to listen to. And interesting yeah, really. people talking about right. interesting stuff or at this rate two old scousers talking about back in the day yeah yeah pretty much no that's amazing <laughs> it's amazing and, and like you know again like having like been to the office a few times in insomniac and seeing just how busy you were 
and just how kind of like, you know, obviously you've got to be in a particular frame of mind at that point to hear that all of this creativity has come back out in you is just, it's really inspiring, mate, because a lot of people subscribe to that thought process of like, if you don't use it, you lose it. And it's like, well, do you really, or do you, do you not tap? It's just that you're not tapping into it at a particular moment, you know? You've got to, you've got to think of it like, like a, a, an, an old girlfriend of mine, an ex-girlfriend of mine, her dad was a senior consultant psychologist. And he, you know, this is when I was like 20, I suppose, 21. He used to say to me, you know, David, people will try and put hats on your head all day long. And your job is to take the hat off as many as you that. can. When you've got no hat on your head, you can stand tall with your head up and you have a clear thought, a clear line of thought. And, he, you know, I've never forgotten that. So, you know, I, I would liken the last you know, 16, 17 years to having too many hats on my head, mm. you know, and I would definitely have a big hat on my head right now regarding this pandemic, but there's nothing I can do about mm. it. So, you know, that just doesn't, for me, that just doesn't exist. You know, if there was something I could do about it, I absolutely would. I'd be the first in line to be like, I can do that. I'll, we can fix that. I, would, I really would. I think, you know, having a positive attitude, which is not easy for everyone, you know, it really, really, really isn't. I, I you know, I, I know a lot of people suffer with, you know, depression and second guessing themselves and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But you know, having having a little having a little notepad, no, my notepad is having a little notepad just handy to just jot things down. You know, I, I I got into my phone for a little while, you know, putting things in my phone, but it's just not as it's not as good as like writing it down. You know, like a little vocal idea, the idea of like oh, you know what, if I go back and listen to that record, it might inspire me to do something else, mm. right? You know, and I do that a lot, you know, this, oh God, you know what, mate? Absolutely brilliant. Um, a good, well, you know Ben Cheryl. I know Ben right? very well, yeah. He's on our pests, he's on our pests. He is, right? yes. So he sent me, you know, we swap a lot of music, and he was like, I'm not sure if you heard this or not, but I figured you'd like it. And he sent me a Dropbox of Greg Wilson's Essential Mix, mm. And I've listened to nothing. They only sent it to me last week. It's been on constantly. And I listen to it and I'm like, those things in that mix that I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize that. Number one. And then number two, the, the way he's put it together, but more importantly, the music is inspiring. You know, just little bits you could take from this and that and the other. You go, wow, that bass line. You just altered that note a little bit there. You did this, you did that. You've got a great looking track there. Just that just that alone so you know still to this day i still adore listening to people put music together you know mm. and you know if you listen back over the last i guess the last i mean i'd say flume was a real good example of someone that bent the envelope a lot mm. you know with the way that he structured his records and the way that you it's, it's the pregnant pause. I always listen to it as the pregnant pause. You're like, well, come on, you come on. But it doesn't ever happen, but it does, right? There's a, there's a skill to that. I'd love to know how he does that. Well, I do know how he does it, but I just, you know, I'd love to sit in the studio and just watch him, you know, but I take great pleasure in listening to those kind of things. You know, stuff I'm listening to lately, there's a guy called Ray X. I don't know if you know him, mm -hmm. if you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. Unreal. Beautiful. Amazing vocals, right? Just, yeah, just gorgeous you know like stuff like that and then you know you listen to rufus to Saul. it's like the modern modern day great dance music oh, so man. good i just love them love them so, so much. good mm. you know but there's like you know you, you start digging into it 
and that's why I love, you know, call it what you want, but I love Spotify for that, you know, because you can start digging in, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's, you can be like, oh, well, I've never heard that guy before. Let's have a listen to him. You know, you see all of a sudden you're on this journey of exp- of exploration and discovery and it's fantastic. You know, so I, I'd say I'm still as passionate today as I was back when I was 16 years old doing that because I wanted to listen to you Genesis. Can tell. Yeah. Oh, just a- <laughs> you can tell. And it's amazing. It's amazing to see it in your mate. And it's like, you know, I, I mean, obviously when I was living in LA, I saw you like in the depths of like, you know, having that big hat on and, you know, you, you were clearly loving it and you were clearly happy. But like, I'll be honest with you, mate, this is like the happiest I've ever seen you. Yeah, it's the happiest I've felt for years, mate. Mm. Three years, I'm thankful for that, you know. Oh, so, absolutely, like, mate, absolutely. Like, like you said, like I say, in every cloud there's a silver lining, right? Oh, you know? yeah, totally, yeah. And there's a real power in what you're saying as well about the fact that, you know, I think a lot of people are feeling very powerless right now in the face of what's yeah. going on, but there's actually a great amount of power in just letting go. There, there really is. And, you know, and once you let go, you can, you know, I think, uh, God, what, there was a thing I read, oh, I can't remember the name of the book, but it was about organization, right? I read a lot of books about organization in the last 10, 15 years, because, you know, you have to be organized to, to, to get on in business, right? You know, you just simply must. And one of the things was, uh, I picked up this uh, application called Omni OmniFocus, mm-hmm. which is basically, it's a project, it's, it's, it's almost a project management tool, but you can use it in your day-to-day life, and it's really good. And one of the things that I spent probably a year doing, which was liberating, was getting everything out of my head on into a document, right? So, you know, it didn't matter. You know, like if you wanted to go hike a trail, you know, put it in there. You might not be doing it for the next two years, but it's in there. And and with all that, once all that information gets out of here and gets into something that you can organize, you can actually get through it. And it's super liberating. It's just like, oh, okay. And, you know, when we went into lockdown here, that's what I did with the house. I was like, I walked the house with my wife and I was like, all right, show me everything that needs to be done. Everything. doesn't matter how little, just show me it all. And I walked around with my phone. I put it all in there. Bum, 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 bum. And, you know, I'm happy to say I've only got two more things left, which are going to take me significant amounts of time. But it's just, you know, getting to that point of liberating your mind that's that's my that's where I'm going with this is, is, is you know all that baggage that's in there, you know like oh shit I've got to call the bank oh I've got to call this I've got to do this I've got to do that mm. just get it out get it out mm. you, you don't have to do it right there and then you know there's the old adage of like if it's going to take you less than two minutes do it right away I disagree with that I, I totally disagree with that because then all you end up doing is you, your whole day's filled up with doing two minute things and you never actually get anything you really need to get done done it's very interesting <laughs> you say that because i think i know one of the books you're talking about it's getting things done by david allen right that's the two minute rule thing. Okay. and uh okay. I, I got caught i got i frequently get caught in that two minute feedback loop and it makes yeah. me think of that old mark twain quote about you know if your job is to eat two frogs start first thing in the morning and eat the biggest one first yeah exactly so it's I do that with my kids all the time. I'm like, all right, you made your beds? Oh, do it later. I was like, don't put off later to what you can do right now. Just go get it done. Mm-hmm. And then you've got all the time. I'm not going to be on your case about like, you know, yeah, made your beds and you can go do whatever you want. You've got all the free time in the world. But I, I, I you know, I think that, you know, having that, having that organized and, you know, some people, for some people it comes natural. I am not a naturally organized person. I'm pretty chaotic, but having the tools, especially these days, mm. 
with the technology that exists, you know, things are going across different devices and giving you notifications and this and that and the other. It's fantastic. You know, and you can get yourselves, once you get organized, you can really let your mind wonder. Yeah, totally. You know, totally. And have those creativity moments, yeah, for sure. big time. And I think it's about, and you touch on a very useful point there, because I think we all have issues around things like screen time and, you know, staring endlessly into the phone abyss and everything else. But, you know, once you figure out how to use that technology as a tool to help you rather than, you know, something that enslaves you, then, oh. you know, you're, you're well on your way, really. Yep, 100%. You know, well, I, I think over the last, you know, I said I haven't made any music for a long, long, long time, but I, I've, I've always twiddled because I've always had logic on my computer. You know, I always kept up with it. So I always twiddle, you know, little ideas and stuff like that. When I when I finally got the time to sit down and see what that looked like, the 60 little tiny projects from one to number 60, they're all, they were all, um, they were all, you know, marked. And so, you know, one of the, I, I spent two days just opening them up, listening to it, opening my book up, writing down what, you know, yeah, that was good. No, just absolutely garbage, you know, or, you know, deleting them or whatever. Um, and from that came, you know, the first record I put out a few weeks ago and this one too mm. that's coming out. Like, that's coming out. So it's, it's just 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 having that and and, and not, not have it sitting out there doing nothing. Now it's organised. Now I can be like, okay, you know, I can go back in there, I can look at what's what's going to be next and say, right, let's pull that one up. Let's have a go at that one. You know, and it's it, uh, some of the work's already done, so it's mm. really pleasurable to get in there and start saying, oh, yeah, I really like that. Mm. Oh, that should sound like this now. That should do this. Mm. It's good. So do you end up, like, finishing everything you you do that way or is it some things just get to a certain point and you're like, eh, or... I'm pretty, I'm pretty tenacious, man. Mm. I'm going to make it work. I'm, you know... I'm finishing off one right now that I really, really, really liked. It's taken me a long time to do it. Um, you know, when I went back to it, I was like, oh, this is great. This is going to be so great. And then, you know, you get to it and I'm, I'm arranging it and I'm like, oh, no, this is shit. This is absolutely crap. So I start ripping things out and putting things in and, you know, just really messing around with it. And we've got it to a point now where it's like, I've just got this arpeggio to figure out because it's out of tune with everything else, but it sounds amazing, <laughs> you know. And once I get it in tune, um, it'll be it'll be a lot better, you know. But it's just little that's that's more finicky bits, but you know. I, I, and I'm determined to finish it, you know. Mm. Absolutely, 100% determined to finish it. Mm. And I've got another one with my little girl. I've done this like M83 esque thing with my little girl, um, and I've recorded it at different times with her, and she's only eight. And her voice is changing. So when I think of when I started it, she was like six and a half, maybe. So her voice has matured a little bit. So now I've got to go back and re-record the whole thing. And it was all ad lib. Mm. It was just, I just put her in front of the microphone and said, tell me about everything that you love about life. And so, you know, from that, you know, just creating these little vocal snippets that drop in and out throughout the track. But, you know, then you're faced with the fact of like, oh shit, the voice sounds way different. Yeah. You know? So now I've got to, now I've got to go, you know, that's on the list. <laughs> no, amazing. Amazing. And it's, it's great that you've got like a kind of a, you've got like a, a, a workflow for it. You've got a, you've got a system, do you know what I mean? Which is really, really important. It's something that we definitely teach here for sure. Yeah. Well, I was watching one of your, um, 
I started watching one of your things on Logic, mm. and that was one of the first things you said about, like, you know, you, you, you had your screen up, and, you know, everything was coloured. It looked really neat and tidy. And, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, that's just anal. But it's actually the right way to work. Mm. It, it, there's no other way to work. Mm. You know, naming things, which I used to be dreadful at, you know, I'd be like, you know, I'd just copy things over and just do it, and they'd have the same name as that freaking piece down there, and be like, oh, shit. Uh, well, what was the original one? What did I pull that one from? You know, mm. just organization is key. It, it's, uh, you know, it really does translate to, to, to musical production in a big way. No, you know? massively. And, and again, I'll go back to it. If, if you are organized, you will be more creative. Yes. You know, having that temp. So far, having that template you can just open exactly as you want, mm -hmm. right? To go bing, click, and I'm in. You know, yeah, I don't have to worry about routing or, or you know, anything like that. You know, there's, there's instruments already set up to just be like, you know, put some beats down real quick. You know, they can, ch they can change, the instruments can change, but getting that idea out quickly mm -hmm. so they don't forget it. I use I also use that um, voice recorder on my phone a lot mm. and hum, you know and hum or you know da, 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 into that a lot yeah you know <laughs> have you tried the music memos app on the phone no because that's like the, the it's, like, it's like the voice memos thing but it'll actually if you sing into your phone it'll tell you what the notes are oh my god mm. game changer yeah it's amazing it's properly <laughs> amazing it's properly good like I mean all my notes are going to be Place <laughs> all my flats. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at least then you've got a starting point. You can tweak it from there. Do you know what I mean? Very, no, very, no, very it's true. very, very good, mate. It's very powerful. And you can even... It's in the phone or it's, it's an app? No, it's an app. It's, a, it's an app that Apple made. Like, it's made to go with, like, I think principally GarageBand, but you can export it and then throw it into Logic and you can do the whole thing. Yeah, it's amazing. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, it's Love really, it. really good. I've been really surprised by how much I've used it because I do that all the time as well. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very useful. And you can even do little things like trial it with like little backing tracks and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, oh, just, a, it's just a little that, dead basic, super cool app. Like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, I mean, I find myself beatboxing. I find myself beatboxing into my phone. You know, say, so, yeah. yeah, and you just, I, <laughs> I go back and listen to me. What the what is that? <laughs> Mate, some of the, some of the fun, I, I I get like I get funny looks in the queue in the co-op because I'm standing there with a four pack of Guinness singing into my phone. <laughs> you no, know, it's just it's the, the, the it's always the most inopportune moments when it takes you. You know what I mean? That's you know, funny. Or, or, you, or you listen to a track, you'll have a track go, and you'd be like, oh wow, that bass line in that record. You know, for just if I nick that. Alter a few notes. I do that all the time. Yeah. Play, play right? You know, it's a little bit of plagiarism. Just, just alter a couple of notes. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Wasn't, wasn't dance culture just or production culture? That was based on plagiarism in general, though, wasn't it? Sample based. Yeah. When we did bass, I mean, if you think about bass heads, is anybody out there? It's it's all samples. Mm -hmm. It's all samples. Except the piano. Piano's not sound. Africa Bambata, Osmonds, mm -hmm. Pink Floyd. You know, although Pink Floyd did stop that getting released in its original incarnation. Oh, interesting. We had to, I, I had to, when you listen to the, the release version, that's that's my voice. And the with the goes, just dance and move your body. That's my voice too, because that was a, that oh, was no another song. Way. That's amazing. That's amazing. You're giving us the proper that's inside clone. track, man. We had to clone them. 
we couldn't we weren't allowed to use the original sound well we could have used them but we would have had to pay you know yeah it's what yeah i mean actually we like we, we've got a, a new course with bushwhacker which you've probably seen on the site and he goes into a lot of depth about sample clearance because he's had his own yeah. sort of like ups really? and downs with that yeah because he had the billy jean thing didn't he and you know right, yeah, yeah. He, he had all sorts with that but he's he's you know he's again he's he's, he's like you he's He's of a, shall we say, a particular vintage. So that sample culture is like, you know, deeply embedded within him. So there's always going to be little bits where it, like, you know, you kind of like run, you know, you you run into issues with uh, publishers and lawyers and stuff like that. You know what I mean? I gotta say, I do miss the old Akai samplers. You know, I really those those hardware things. We used to struggle. I think I had one with that was two megabits of. Uh, or megabytes, sorry, of, of, of memory. You know, you'd run out mm. all the time. Mm. Crazy. Just a thing. Can I go? Yeah. yeah. Uh, can I, I'm just going to go pee real quick. Go, go for it. Go for it. I'll be right back. Go for it. No problem. No problem. So I'll, I'll just fill in the time while uh, Dave goes to answer the call of nature. And, uh, you know, as I say, I think it's an amazing thing that, that we've got Dave this evening because, you know, just the, the tenacity and the positivity the relentlessness of of his approach and you know to go from you know sleeping on people's couches with you know and having 20 quid left to spend in the whole world on a couch in london to you know where he finds himself today through all the experiences that he's had is just i think there's so much that we can take from that in terms of inspiration in terms of you know tenacity especially right now because obviously things are still a little bit uncertain and you know it, it it's just it's just a phenomenal thing and again like i'm very very grateful that dave's kind of come on to share that this evening so yeah i mean obviously we're still live so if you've got any questions please drop them in the comments and uh we'll, we'll ask dave in the in the last sort of section but absolutely phenomenal absolutely phenomenal stuff and I'm, I'm you know as as dan shaw's just said here like you know humbled and i'm humbled in a number of different ways and we've just found something else out about dave you can pee for it quickly that was good i needed that mate <laughs> i know mate there's nothing worse is there there's absolutely nothing worse two cups of tea in a glass of water and that's it you know i'm i'm in i mean mate, yeah exactly scouses in the tea mate that's what it's about you know it is. It is very much it so. Is. So I was just, uh, I was just saying to everyone about like just the, the the continued positivity and tenacity is something that I think we're all finding very inspirational. Well, you know, I think yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, and, and I think that um, I think advice to anyone is like, you know, you you got to find your passion point number one, mm. right? And I, I'll tell you something that, that I found interesting as a parent is that you know I have a sixteen-year-old almost 17 year old and it's taken him a long time to find his passion point mm. um, but his passion point's hip-hop mm. you know, he really loves it um you know my passion point was just my passion point was was music i guess um but i think once you find that you'll do anything you can in my opinion anyway you'll do anything you can to explore it and just take it and just understand it you know you've just got to be like and i and i think that not everyone can find their passion point Mm. I think that's the moment in time when you just like, you know, some people are, you look at someone like Ninja the Gamer, right? That's his passion point. His passion point was gaming and he made something of it, right? Because he just loved it that much that he would do it and he was good at it. And, you know, then all of a sudden people start like getting attracted to him. And I think, you know, 
you see you see people um, who are who are passionate about what they do. They stand out in the crowd. You know, I've seen I've I've seen pretty much every DJ on the planet that that there is to see, and you can tell the ones who are just this is where I want to be. Mm. This is what I want to do. And I love this and I live it and everything else, you know? And I think that that would be, that would be something that don't, you know, don't get into music just because it's cool. Mm. You know, it's not cool. I'm living Testament to that. You know, <laughs> I'm living Testament. Honestly, you know, there are times when it will, it will lift you up and there are times that it will bring you down. There's no doubt about that, you know, but you know, if you're passionate about it, it will, it will always support you. And I think that it's been really, really good to me. I mean, I've had a, I've had a life of, I've had a life of it. Mm. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be in California now without it. Really. Mm. No, I'm, I know. I feel similar. And, you know, the, the fact that you know, I've been really privileged to do the things that I've done in the time that I've been in this industry so far. And the fact that I get to, you know, help people on their journeys as well is something that I find incredibly fulfilling. And that's a big passion point as well for me as well, as well as, you know, writing my own music as well. So, you know, they, they can, it's funny listening to you talking about the hats that you have to wear. Sometimes it can be difficult to take one hat off and put another one on when you're trying to juggle and do two things at once. But, you know, it, it, it can be done. Like. It can, it can. You know, it, it, it was it, it was interesting. You know, I, I, there was there's two when I you know when I was full on in the office, there was two things that I would do to get out my headspace. Mm. You know, because you you, it, it, uh, you know my, eventually I was I wasn't working 24 hours a day, but the job was going 24 hours a day. Mm. You know, so I'd get up in the morning, 5:30 in the morning, I'd be up, I'd be talking to Europe. You know, 8 8:30 at night, I'd be talking to Asia. You know, so it just never stopped. And, if I, you know, if I didn't go to bed, then it wouldn't have stopped, you know, but I, I was very regimented about about that, you know, so nine o'clock was the cutoff time and that was it. There was, there was no more. But, you know, on those on those days, and there were many that, um, you know, I'd just be super stressed about whatever, you know, whatever it was. Um, making music or, you know, just opening up logic and just being able to go in there and twiddle around and try and understand something about it. That was one. And then I, I play this game called Elite Dangerous, mm -hmm. which I'm, I'm very keen on. That would be the other one. They were the two things that would get me out of my headspace. And I'm passionate about both of them. Mm. And so, you know, I, I would, you know, I, there's other things that I tried, you know, going to the gym, doing this and that. It, nothing worked nothing worked it was only those two things that i could just be like you know especially when we moved and we bought this house three or four years ago now and I, eventually i was like i'm building a studio in here. i've got the room um having that and just getting it and i think i think i did that it was this studio has been up in here for two years um just coming in here at night time missus has gone to bed kids are in bed the dog's been out for a walk close the door it, it, it was almost like, you know, walking into Santa's grotto. You know, you turn on and go, God, oh, I didn't realise that Logic could do that now. <laughs> God, bloody. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you so, mean. So, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I want, some things I just wanted to ask you sort of quickly was like, yeah. you know, um, obviously because you've seen it all and that I think we've established that very well in the last sort of hour and a half or so. There's not much you haven't seen. 
And it's like one of the things I also find really interesting about you is that within your role within Insomniac, it's like I always remember you put a post up on Facebook years ago and you were talking about like, you know, not not being one of those old gits going like, oh, you know, it's not as good as it used to be. And talking about the importance for the new generation coming through to be allowed yeah. to have their moment because yeah. we we were allowed to have our moment. We had nobody standing over our shoulders going, no, this is fucking shit, this. Yeah, yeah, do, do you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's like you you were so, it really shifted my perspective and it made me really yeah. sort of appreciate the fact that regardless of like who it is, and you mentioned people like Rufus Soul and Flume and you could yeah, mention yeah, a lot yeah. of other people, you know, you've you've been there at the point where you know, a lot of these genres have really blown up. And, you know, you've been an instrumental person in allowing these genres to kind of grow and allowing these artists to grow. So, you know, you, you must see, you know, some some similarities or, you know, some traits in the artists coming forward that obviously, you know, end up on insomniac gigs and things like that. So, you know, what what would... Because um, obviously, I'm getting to the point now... Um, you know the the fact that you've seen so much like it's changed almost completely like what would a young artist do now compared to what we would do back in the day say for example i i i i honestly think it's harder now mm. than it was when you know when back in the day that, but back in the day you know there was a there was a community mm. and that community was very much underground right even though, like, it, it didn't really matter whether it was, like, Opulonton or Cream or Golden or, or, or whatever else. It was a very underground scene. Um, and there wasn't, like, something, there wasn't anything like an EDC or a, um, or, or, or any of those huge, huge, huge shows. Mm-hmm. There was Creamfield, which was great, you know, fantastic, still is, Um but that really, that was that was just one moment in time, you know. Now, now, you know, any new artist that's that is is coming into this um, is going to struggle because it's a it's it's about something very different now, in my opinion, you know. And I noticed that, you know, I haven't put a record out for freaking years, right? So I wanted to understand the modern day process, so I did. The walk i walked the walk you know signed up with distro kit did this did that you know all these things that and then i realized i'm like fuck i'm really shit at social media and, and you know and 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 because i'm shit at social media and because i've not paid it that much attention i'm going to really struggle here because that's really really key and i and i figured that out like a couple of weeks ago you know you can have the best record ever but unless you've got this engine behind you now, like of all these followers and you're engaging with them on a regular basis, you know, it's not going to go that far. Mm. So I think that's the biggest difference. You know, you asked me what the difference was between now and then, you know, I didn't grow up with social media, didn't even grow up with the freaking internet. Mm. You know, like that's why I got in my car and drove up to Leeds and up here once and to go give that slate to Sasha, you know, that, that was, that's why I did that. You know, now, um, it seems to me that you can have the product, but you also need 
the entire back room behind you to include your Instagram, your Facebook, your Twitter. And, and you know, we, we talk about creativity and hats and they are stifling. Mm. And I've noticed that myself because I'm like, all right, I've got to make a video for this freaking next tune. <laughs> How do we do that? <laughs> if I'm not doing it, someone else has got to do it for, mm. for me. And then you've got to pay them. So, you know, you need to be, you've got to be funded or you got to do it yourself. And, and then finding the time to make music, do the social media posts, make sure that all your distribution's right. Not all these things. It's like, it's a lot. Man. Mm. It's an, it's an awful, awful lot. So I, I think, again, your passion point's going to drive all that, right? Your passion point's going to be like, fuck you, I'm going to do this, right? Your passion point's going to be like, come on, we can do this, we can get it, we can get it going, we can get it going, we can get it going. And, and you know, then that's a, the tenacity will come through and then hopefully you'll get the break and the music, the music will then be allowed to speak, right? That's when it, but before you get to that point, you, the music can't talk. This, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know now of of anyone who's like made a track and then all of a sudden it's getting picked up because it's a hot track and there's only a few of them out and someone's heard about it and stuff like that. Now it's like even and this was this was a shocker for me. You know, figuring out Spotify a little bit and I'm still like you know I'm on the beginner slopes with it, but you know I was like right I want to pinch it I want to I need to pitch it to a playlist. Mm -hmm. You know, and one of the questions in that is like, how many followers have you got? Mm. And I'm like, that matters? That matters? That's when it crystallized for me. I was just like, oh, fuck. You know, I, it, I'm going to hide into nothing here, but I'm not going to give up. Mm. But, you know, they're not going to look at this unless I've got I've got the engagement on my end so that they can further make the further leverage their engagement up so Spotify just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. That's stifled. I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not keen on that at all because if that's what it is, then, you know, all that it's ever going to be is popular music, mm. right? You know, and maybe it's not even somebody who's picking what's on the Spotify list. I don't know. You know, maybe it's an algorithm or maybe there's keywords that you put in your little pitch thing to Spotify that will be, that will make it take notice of you more. I, I, I don't know the answer to that, those questions, but it was kind of like leveling for me. Mm. And so it's leveling for me, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like for a younger, a young person getting into this, who's made a record that they really, really believe in. Now they've got to get it out there and they've got to go through hoops. Mm. That's why it's harder. Mm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it, you know, it definitely, as it did back in the day, but I think it does work equally now. I think a lot of it does come down to the network that you have and yeah. the the team that you have around you in terms of yeah. you know people who you know who can get pe music into the right people's hands and stuff like that and you know because yeah. if you go through like what you would call the official channels like i always talk about this as someone who's you know helped run labels and have got experience of getting music signed and stuff like that it's you know you you send something to you know, say demos at you know drum code records that's basically just like the that's like the sewage pipe for all the stuff they don't want to listen to. Because yes. the 95% of what they sign is from people they already know and the people that are introducing them to those people. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Yeah, it, it, that, that really is your, your leg up, basically. Well, you know, and, and you know, which, which goes back to the sadness of the pandemic and all the live gigs mm. not happening right now because, you know, when you're out in the club, 
And I do feel that there's been a renaissance for that. You know, you know, Camel Fat Salado, Mason Maynard Fisher. Well, not, not so much Fisher, but, but you know, but those those guys. Yusuf, another another great one, great example of great producers who are um, who are just pushing that boundary. And we're doing with the support of Danny Howard and Annie Mac and Pete Tong on Radio One. And all of a sudden, these tracks are coming out. That's kind of that, that you know that's kind of stopped, if you like, yeah. in, in my opinion anyway, because, you know, there's nothing like being on a dance floor and hearing a new track and going, what the fuck is this? Mm. What is this? Right? It dry, It's definitely drives. We, we, we don't have that. Right you know, so it's definitely, there's a cognitive machine to some degree. And I do think that there's, there's, the, odd, there's the odd track that sneaks through like that, you know, without, without the network behind. But you're right. You've got to have, you've got to have the right agent. You've got to have the right manager. You've got to have the right business manager. You've got to have the right social media manager. You've got to have all these people around you, you know. And you know, anyone who thinks you get rich from that, is is sadly mistaken, mm. you know. Because, you know, think about it, right? Even if you earned, let's let's, let's pick a nice round number, hundred thousand dollars a gig, right? Which is not that out of the question these days. Um, you pay your manager his cut, you pay your agent, all those people that I just said, they all mm -hmm. take a cut. Then you pay your taxes and there's very little left. Mm -hmm. You know, by the time you've got, you know, you might want to lodge it and take your business class flight or get there on a helicopter or whatever. They all take their toll. Every single thing takes its toll. Mm -hmm. I think, that, you know, having a tour manager, having, <laughs> you know, all these things, you, these people have to be paid. Mm -hmm. It can be it can be really really stifling. You know, my my advice is just if if you're passionate enough about it, just stick with it. Mm. It'll come, but it might take it might take a minute. You know. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you that it's harder than it used to be. I think it does a very good job of like fooling people into social media. Anything can happen, and it's like, well, yeah, no, because there's this whole industry built up around it now, and it's not necessarily all working in favour to, like, liberate the artist at this present moment in time. I think it might well do. I think, you know, this pandemic, I think, is tough now. But I do think in the long term, it's possibly going to present us with an opportunity to remake the industry in a way that we want and in a way that actually will serve artists a little better and... Be able to allow them to monetize a bit better and actually make a living from their art. Yeah, yeah, and, and and you know I think that I think the average person who wants to make music just wants people to listen to it, mm. you know, and, and love it, you know, and and then if they can make a bit of money from that, great, you know. I I I I, I think the ones that get into it because they're going to crush it and make a million millions and millions and millions of dollars. I think those days of those days are pretty much behind us mm. for the time being. Anyway. You know, you'll see a lot of people fall off in this pandemic. Mm. A lot mm. already have. A lot of people already have. Mm. It's sad, but it's it's kind of like it's necessary in in some ways. You know, because it gives the 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 real passion of people, the ones that get into this for the right reason. The opportunity to you know to, to, to move ahead mm -hmm. you know no absolutely we're, absolutely we, we were here you know at the beginning and we'll still be there after you know all the people who may not it may not be their passion point have, have left and gone and done something else yeah 100 percent 
No. Mate, I've already done, I've already done the playlist for my funeral. That's how much I, that's how much it means. I'll tell you what, mate, I know you said it was organized, like well, look at now, I didn't realise it was that organized. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> now show me everything around the house that needs doing. And don't forget your funeral playlist, by the way, Dave. I was gonna say, is that one of the two things that's left outstanding? That's gonna take you a while to do, like or oh, no, no, no. oh, the two things are oh, one of them is um well, at the front of the house, there's this little strip of land, which is grass, which I've, I've got AstroTurf for, but that's going to take a minute, and it's really hot here right mm -hmm. now. Uh, so that's 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 one. And then uh, we have a we have a very tall hallway. Mm -hmm. I've got to paint that. I've got to paint that, but I'm doing that. I'm doing that next week. That's getting done next week. Right, we'll, we'll hold you to that. We'll expect evidence, like. Send you some pictures. <laughs> yeah, please do. This is what Dave's been doing in between, like you know, what, what, watching, watching Twiddling. MIT courses and like you know, chopping up baselines. Twiddling, yeah, twiddling, mate. It's the best, isn't it? It's the best. It's the best. Dave, listen, mate. I've been absolutely enthralled listening to you, and it's been nothing short of a privilege having you on. And I know a lot of people are going to really vibe off this and, you know, it, it, I think it's going to mean a lot to a lot of people. So thank you very much, mate. I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate you inviting me on. And, um, you know, I hope that whatever we've talked about, you know, is just gives some inspiration and some knowledge to some people and what else can we do? Well, exactly, mate. I mean, I know I'm inspired. I'm inspired by yeah. it. Oh, thank you, mate. Thank no, you very appreciate much. appreciate it. I think we'll look back in this in a year and just be like, we're in the middle of it, but it's it's gonna. I think it's gonna be okay. Yeah, you know? I think it is, Eventually, mate. I think it is. I mean, you even look at history, mate. Pandemics don't last. It'll blow itself out sooner or later. It might take a while. It might. It'll take longer than we want it to. But yeah. it there'll will be, be fine. Good music come out, and there'll be a lot of good music come out the back of it. Oh my god! I mean, I know so many big artists right now who are sitting on absolute weaponry. <laughs> And they're like, there's no point us putting it out now because right. you don't, you know, you don't, uh, as we say in Liverpool, you don't get off at Edge Hill, do you? Do you know what I mean? Like, you, 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 keep your, you keep your bullets in the chamber for when you absolutely need them. And that's kind of what we're advising artists at the moment. It's like, you know, yeah, you can put things out, you know, but everything feels like a placeholder at the moment for yeah. when we can get back to it and like you say there's no feeling better than you know being there on the dance floor going oh my god what is this this has just changed my life you know that yeah. that kind of thing so you know they go hand in hand for sure man. yeah cool all right well thanks very much well, to dave well. and uh i shall uh you know put an end to the uh so there you have it. There is episode three of Beyond the Studio in the bag. And I want to say thank you once again to Dave Ralph for being just, well, just being himself and just being Dave and just being such fantastic, fascinating and engaging company. And again, I think there's a huge amount that we can all take from that conversation in terms of longevity of career, variability in terms of roles and just riding the waves basically to see where you go in life. So 
As you know, we have been playing unsigned tracks from our NYT AAA members in the beds for the podcast, in our intros and our outros. And today is the turn of a guy called Mr. Jack Swift. And this track is called Subtle Changes. And he submitted it for a track feedback session back just before Christmas. And we were just blown away by it. So this track is available to be signed. And if you drop me an email at paul at transition.studio, that's paul at transition.studio, we may well be able to help you with your record label and put you in touch with the artist because that's what we do here at NYT. We help people get signed to the best labels possible. So again, if you are the record label and are interested in our members' unsigned content, please feel free to get in touch. So that is it for another one of our episodes. I'm looking forward to dropping next week's episode four with you guys. So stay tuned across our website, www.transition.studio. Find us on Instagram, find us on Facebook, and you will see who we've got coming up as our next guest. So for now, I shall leave you to it. Have a wonderful rest of your day, whatever you're doing, wherever you are. Remember to stay safe, stay sound, and I shall speak to you soon. Take it easy, guys. See you soon. Bye-bye.